0: Let's pray together. Dear Lord, in, uh, in your word, the devil is called the father of all lies. Uh, and you are our heavenly father. So the father of all lies would tell us that what we're just saying is a lie. That is, that if we have you and nothing else, we have everything. Because the father of lies will tell us, and probably maybe telling us now that we, we need a lot more than you. Uh, we need certain financial capacity. We need certain social status. Uh, we need a certain job. Uh, we need to look a certain way. And many of us uh, have chased those things, and many of us are chasing those things. Uh, the gospel, and what you tell us, is if, if everything's taken away and we have you, we still have everything. I pray that I believe that more and more. I pray that church believes that more and more uh, and would uh, shun and refute the lies of the father of lies and that we would see clearly who you are in your word, uh, in our uh, mission, which is your mission that you've given us, uh, and and here in relationships. And there would be people uh, that tell others who are believing those lies that if we have you... We have everything. Thank you that you are everything, you're in everything, and you're working through everything. All by the power of Jesus in his name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you again to our worship team for leading us. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can take it and open to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. You're welcome to pick one up and even take it home with you. We are... Uh, in a series this fall that we call uh, In, Not, Of. And it's a saying that that I've heard often, that Christians are to be in this world and yet not of it. And easy to say, uh, very, very tough to live out. And often I think it's tough because we say, okay, I'm a Christian and I'm in the world, and the world is full of, of those things like peer pressures, uh, and those lies from the father of lies and lies of you know, trying to look a certain way and have the right appearance uh, and have our families look a certain way and have the right jobs, and which is a good thing. I have money, which is a good thing. But then there, uh, there are parties, there are temptations. We're very much in the world. So how do we stay in the world and be salt and light and yet not be of it? You know, part of the challenge is we see being in the world, not of it, as a very negative thing. It's like, oh, man, I can't do what I really want to do. You know, I can't go to places that I really want to go. And, you know, we see it as negative. But if we turn that around and view it as positive, as that we're part of something greater and something bigger, greater plan, greater purpose, greater mission, uh, that begins in our our homes and in our families, and goes to neighbors, and goes to nations. If we see a big God, and we see our world in a different way, that we're called to be salt and light, and we see it as a positive thing, I actually believe it's easier. Uh, now, I, I believe as, as a preacher is proclaiming God's word and the gospel, we've got to speak to God's people. And many of you are God's people and that you are Christians. Uh, I do believe there's probably at least one person in here who's not a Christian, And I'm very thankful that unbelievers uh, would come to church and come to any church. But at the same time, as God's people, we need to know how to live in the world and not be of it to reach others. And so this is going to be about that today. And we're going to start with verse 8 and read through verse 22 of First Peter 3. We're actually skipping a portion uh, if you followed us over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and that is intentional. We're skipping the first part of chapter 3, because the first part of chapter 3 is on marriage. And next Sunday uh, happens to be my anniversary. And so I just felt convicted to preach on marriage on my anniversary. Hope y'all will be here. Uh, it will prove to be a good one. Uh, I will, uh, or you may be, I don't know if it is or not. But anyway, I'll be pretty open, I can say that, about the challenges of marriage uh, and what God's Word calls us to Uh, In marriage. But for today, let's read 1 Peter 3, starting with verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrections of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Today I want to talk about defense. Defense. Because actually, this passage talks, literally says, be prepared to make a good defense. For the reason of the hope that is in you. So so defense, that is, uh, actually, that puts us in a bad position. There is an old saying, I know it's said in politics, I don't, I mean, you could pretty much say it in life. If you're explaining, you're losing, okay? And I think that's true. Anytime you're explaining, I mean, you're fighting a losing cause, you can overcome that. But you're being put on the defensive. You're being put on Defense. Uh, Many of you know how that feels just generally in life. Some of us may know how it feels as Christians when someone asks us for why we believe what we believe, why we do what we do, why you may go where you go, and we're put on the defensive. And so how do we respond? I actually think this passage and that particular verse, verse 15, gives us an answer, and I think it ties to another great saying, I believe this, uh, the best defense is a great offense. That's, I believe that. And you're like, well, how does that say that? I mean, that's, you can say a football saying or, or whatever. How does that say that in verse 15? Well, look at this. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The hope is your own offense. Hoping is future-oriented. Hoping is driving to something. I hope for something. I am moving for something. So I, I think it's true. The best defense is a very good offense. The offense of a life moving forward, driving forward uh, to neighbors and nations with hope. Uh, with hope that all things can be restored. All things are, in fact, being restored. All things can be made new. That regardless of trials or challenges, be them physical, be them relational, Uh, Be the mental that we have a hope that is not of this world but gives us hope for today. That's being on offense. And we're going to be put on defensive. We're going to be put to explaining. And honestly, if the hope ain't in you, you're going to be back on your heels at best. And for many who call themselves Christians, the hope's not in them. They kind of do the song and dance. If you have that hope, and even if you're a young Christian or... You're new, or like, I don't know God's word, but you have this indwelling hope because you know that Jesus has saved you and that he is, as the passage later says, we'll get into, brought us to God. It's really, it's amazing. He says that in verse 18. He has brought you to God. It's hope. So I want to talk four things quickly, or pretty quickly in the time we have. Four things that this passage shares with us about having that hope. One, the world, what the world needs. Two, us, what we can do. Three, most importantly, what Jesus has done. And then last, us as a church, as a particular church, as a bellwether church. I want to start with what the world needs. And that's that's the beginning of the passage, which is interesting because you could read it, verse 8 through 12, it really doesn't say anything about the world, but it, actually says a lot about what the world needs. Look at this. I'll read it again. It says, All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil. As I paraphrase here, reviling for reviling, but bless. For to this you are called. Look at this. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Let him turn away evil from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer but the face of the lord is against those who do evil now that's talking about us as christians but it's showing what the world needs and three words right there that i think are key i encourage you to underline actually four words a humble mind a humble mind the tongue And then pursue. Which pursuing is an action. So here's what I'm trying to say. A humble mind leads to you speaking good words. Not gossiping. Not lying. Not slandering. And it also leads to action. Mind, voice, action. Humble mind, tongue, lips. Pursue peace. That is an action. The world needs people... Christians, and if it start, honestly, if it starts with a humble mind, then I think that will flow into what we say, and it'll flow into what we do, our actions. The world needs it. The world needs it in us. The world needs that in you. Humility of mind, words, and those who seek peace and pursue it. I want to give you a couple stories today, a couple of examples, and uh, all of these have happened to me in. Recent weekends, uh, many of them, frankly, at football games, either Friday night or on a Saturday and football season, and we love it, and God bless it, and it's a good thing, and, you know, we can, it can be an idol, you know. Yesterday may not have been a great day. Anyway, we move <laughs> on. But a couple things that, that have happened to me. One is that, um, and I want to give some examples both of adults and for kids or, or teenagers or youth. You know, one thing is, you know, humble mind, words, action you know I was at a football game and I was sitting by actually a young lady and we're friends and uh my wife was running around with the kids or I had one of them or something but I was I was there and there was a guy in front of us and we were all all three of us visiting and she said she said oh do you talking to the guy you know you go to his his church and he said no I go to this other church and then she said to me it's like oh, I know you're recruiting him aren't you and and I say that because I kind of now in 12 years of ministry, you know, especially around here, I kind of know how it rolls, and, you know, there's churches, and a lot of churches, and church pride, and, and I told my wife this. I'm not often, like, and I have to say this story, because I'm not often, like, proud uh, of what someone would say, either, you know, about ministry or the church, but this is a very, very simple thing, and I was like, I know pride's the first sin, but I was proud. He turned, he said, no, he's not like that. He, um. He's not always giving his, his salesman pitch, and he really only cares if you just don't have a church or don't know Jesus, and I was like, wow, I mean, I didn't, I mean, that was very, very grateful and thankful that he picked up on that because, and I say all that because, and you're like, well, how does it do with humble mind? Is Well, it takes a humility because there's so much pride in just and you don't have to be a preacher or pastor, but, but for our thing, for our deal, whatever that is. And to just release that and say, hey, I'm trusting in the Lord. You know, I am going to try to seek peace and pursue it. I'm, I don't always get it right, and I definitely don't always, you know, say the right things. But humble mind, uh, speaking the right things, you know, caring about people just genuinely and trying to seek peace and pursue it. You know, when you see that, man, that, that has connected or that, that does translate or that... That matters. Uh, That's what the world needs. Because everybody's kind of running around the rat race, kind of wanting to do their own thing or trying to do their own thing or building up their own thing, okay? Uh, I mean, there's so many needs in this world. Another football game, Jack and I were walking home. So we bumped into this guy. I'll say where it was. It was down Sheffield Drive here. Bumped into this guy. It was late at night. It was after a game. And it was just me and Jack, and so we're walking down to our car, and this guy pulls up alongside us, and I know him, okay? I doesn't go to this church, but I formed a friendship with him. And in that 10-minute span, he he sees us, and, you know, there's really nobody out, and we'd stayed late. And so he starts driving slowly to follow us, and he starts sharing about needs that he has in life. And I'm not going to go into the needs, but a feeling of just being lost and caught in the rat race and, you know, on a cycle that just never ends and, you know, doing this and this with with kids' events and parties, and this dude is a partier. And he's really trying to, at best, straddle the fence. And he knows what he should do, and he can't take that full step over there. And so, you know, for me in that situation, I'm just... I mean, I was just walking Jack home and here's this ministry opportunity. I'm just walking down Sheffield. And I say that I say it to this passage because there are so many people that y'all know like that that need a conversation of helping that person, that brother, or for some of you sisters, you know, take take a step to saying you can take a full step over here. You don't have to straddle the fence. That happens to me often hope it happens to you and that you're at least in the presence of those folks who, who need to see that light and are searching for answers. for kids, for youth. I mean, I, I talked to two, two high schoolers this, this week, and man, they are just in some, some real pain, and it's not very explicit. They try to hide it, put on a good front, pain from you know divorce of their parents, and they're trying to put on a good look and a good image. They're struggling and suffering, and I mean, the world needs again a humble mind. Those who seek peace, those who will speak these right words that are encouraging. It's it's so out there, and yet it's right here. How we can how we can act, how we can minister the needs of the world. So you, then you're like, well, okay, that, that's good. I know their needs, and it can be adults, it can be partiers, it can be kids. But, like, you know, I mean, what do I say? What do I do? Well, the next passage, it really breaks down some things that we can say, literally. So for us, if you talk about the world, here Peter goes into more, like, here's kind of how you do it. He says again, start with verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You're like, well, how does that exactly tell me what to say? Well, it says, first, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord. Do we do that? Do we honor Christ as Lord? When it says Lord, Lord of all, Lord of all creation, Lord of all things. Do we... Do we have that hope, as I said earlier? And do we share it with gentleness and respect? Do we do those things? Two two quick stories on this. I was at another football game. Uh, All this good stuff happens at football games. And and actually, talking about seeking peace, I actually broke up a fight Friday night, which is, you know, (laughs) love that. I mean, uh, it it was actually, you know, it was fourth graders, and uh, God love them, you know, and I, you, you're standing there, and I'm like, "When they're really fighting, and so I actually just thought about that seeking peace, and I mean, I was breaking it up, and of course, I got into a fight in fifth grade at a football game, and uh, and won, anyway, but uh, <laughs> I threw a snow cone on a dude, and uh, he, he was calling me Pug, 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 I have a Pug nose, and you can only take so much, fifth grade, anyway, you live and learn, so anyway, but going in, you know, how we act, what we say, uh, all this fun stuff happens at football games. Y'all should go. Anyway, one dude a couple weeks ago, he, you know, we were talking, and this dude is very explicit center. So when I say those words, that means, you know, drinks a lot, parties a lot, uh, slept around, you know, broken up, married. I mean, just, you know, in-your-face mess. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, tries to look the part and everything. So visiting, and he says this, and I thank God I have a relationship with him. And, and, you know, part of it is you also could think, you know, just talking to a guy like this, other folks that are holier than thou, you should do that would, would slander you for engaging with him or going to lunch with him or growing around. Actually, I have gotten slandered for hanging out with this guy. Anyway, that's a, another story. So, and you do get slandered. But he asked me, he's like, man, how do you do what you do? How do you do what you do? I mean, you know, like... Man, you know, just people and problems and you hear things and then, you know, church. How do you do what you do? And, you know, now, he wasn't putting me on the defensive, but I did, I thought about him as I was reading this passage. And, and I keep going back there, that you have to have hope in people. Now, you hope more in Jesus, but that he can work in people, that anybody can be saved. Anybody can be restored. Anybody can change. Anything can be healed. I really believe that, and some of y'all know, I mean, I've been in some tough situations and tough relationships, but I still have that hope. Anything can be restored, and so I said some, you know, some, some version of that, and I don't believe this guy is a Christian, or he wouldn't be living as he is, but a bridge was built, and I'm gonna, you know, whether he comes to this church or not, I'm gonna have lunch with him, or coffee with him, and keep visiting with him, and and I believe, I hope the, the Lord will use that. Another example, somebody else, and this is way, way back in my past, but I do think this ties into the hope and what we say, actually in another instance, like on social media. So here, here it would be. There was, and you know, I don't know how you start a story, but it kind of starts like this, you know, like, there was this girl, okay? And <laughs> first big crush I ever had. First big crush, okay, like big crush. I mean, like, you know, like you know, just like wagging the tail type deal. And she was from Denmark, uh, and I met her, and Linda knows the story, so I don't want to look at her, how she's looking. But anyway, I, she was, uh, met her in ninth grade. So it was ninth grade, she was an exchange student. So, I mean, I was, you know, in Country Bumpkin, you know, Hillbilly, New Albany, Mississippi. But uh, she was an exchange student, and, you know, I was like, just, Blown away. I mean, she was very striking and very, you know, I don't know, just interested in Denmark or, you know, whatever, cultured all that, different, um, never dated. I mean, I never had a chance. But anyway, I had this crush on her, and we were friends. She went to my church, so I started going to church a lot more. And, (laughs) And anyway, she, you know, then she went back a year later and, you know, I mean, kept in touch, I mean, you know, moved on. Here's the point, okay? I was uh, later past college and wandering, you know, job and would go traveling and I was backpacking across Europe and um, got reconnected with her, okay? And this is no real exciting story. I mean, just, you know, met up and hung out and caught up. And she had been through a really, really, really rough spell. Uh, Got into relationships with older men. We uh, were the same age. At this point, I was probably, I, think I was 24. Relationships with other men, big-time depression, cut herself. Uh, that's the first instance I'd heard, you know, of um, at least girls cutting themselves for insecurities. And, and was not a Christian then. And, and at this point, uh, I don't think she's a Christian now. And I say all that because, I don't know about you, but one of the reasons I do what I do, and this is something I can actually get emotional about, is that I think about people that have come across my life and, and they, don't, they, they don't know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. And I'm not talking about just people here. I mean, I get emotional there too, but like you just wonder you know, what's going to happen. But there is a hope. And so I say that, that often what we say may not be person to person, but maybe reaching out. I mean, obviously now cell phone or email or just checking in with people. And I don't check in with this girl. I mean, I'm married now. I mean, I kind of, you know, keep that boundary and everything. But I do put things, and I'm not on social media a lot, uh, but I am on it, or maybe for some they might say it's a lot, but I don't think I'm on it a lot. But I do like to put things to communicate because the world is watching. Uh, And, you know, we can be witnesses, and it's a wonderful tool. It can be a great evil as well, but it can be a wonderful tool uh, to shine a light, and for someone way, way, way way back when to see something, a statement, or, and, and the Lord works through that. And so I'm also saying it to encourage you all to have that hope that who knows how the Lord works? And there are people in our lives, and I heard for folks who go through trauma and who don't know the Lord. And, but you can, by the Lord's power, be a witness, and you don't have to be face-to-face. One example of that was a face-to-face. The other one is, yeah, I don't know, but I know the Lord's working. And I know no one is brought into your life without a reason, if you're a Christian, without a reason. You can always make an influence. Let's get to the main point here, and that is Jesus, because the next part of the passage is about him. And you could say the world's needs. You could say then how we act and speak. But the only reason we do that, the only way we can, is because of what Jesus has done for us. So this is the most important point. Really the most important verse, I believe, in this passage, verse 18, in my opinion... which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. I wanted to read that again because that's that's the bottom line. That is why we do what we do. That you know Jesus suffered for you. Because of Him, we were brought to God because we were unrighteous. And he brings us to God. And then, and I do, I have to, because some of y'all may read that, what about Noah in prison and what's all that? And So here's a a brief commentary on that. There has been debate by people much smarter than me, biblical scholars, on who are those folks in prison? Well, I believe it shows the much bigger cosmic picture of what Jesus has done because Peter is saying, back in the days of Noah... And most folks agree that this is who that is when he's talking about those in prison. It was those who died in the flood and only eight were saved. So you want to think about being in and not of the world. Think about way, way, way back here, tied to the Old Testament. Noah and his family, talking about in a world that was, you know, literally about to be destroyed, going to literally hell, he saved eight people. And so there is a, and I'll use this word, cosmic implications that Jesus actually proclaimed to them. And that doesn't mean that they had another chance to be saved because nowhere else in Scripture does it say that. So I want to be clear. It doesn't mean that Jesus went back to those in hell or in prison or in bondage and said, hey, you're getting a second chance. No, that is not. You're like, why do you say that? How do you get that opinion? Well, nowhere else in Scripture does it say anything close to that, that you get a second chance. But it is saying that in God's plan, and Peter points to this, he said that was when eight people were saved and all those... That God God wiped out. That God wiped out. And then he ties it to baptism. To baptism. And he says that it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. That in baptism, we're making this appeal through the resurrection. I highlight baptism. We're having a baptism service again, November 13th. We have three baptisms lined up. Praise God. But Peter directly refers to baptism. And it's not just like... A washing, it is a renewing of mind, of spirit through Jesus' resurrection. Big deal. If those of you are interested in baptism, we'd love to talk to you about that. Have it in a month, November 13th. And then the last thing it says is that Jesus, through his resurrection, now he is over and above all authorities in this world, all political systems, as crazy as it is getting. Everything is subject to Jesus. So you don't live in and not of this world I mean, there's so many verses and we hit them like every week. But there's another one. All powers subject to him. There is this trust. There is this hope in something over and above greater than us that can begin and never end in a moment and we see it in baptism and live it through his church. So I just want to close with us as a church. How do we do all this? That's good. The world's need and how to speak and Jesus is done. You're like, but you know, I want talk about some church growth principles. Church growth principles. sounds very strategic. Church growth. We want to grow. I think all churches need to grow. I think you need to look at growth in a very different way. Uh, God's changed this in me over the years. I'd hope that he would change it in you too. Church growth. Every church should grow, should want to grow. Why should it want to grow? Because, and I'm going to say this very clearly, maybe, maybe bluntly, but is there a concern that there are souls out there that will face the wrath of God. I'll say again. There are souls out there that will face the wrath of God. Like, like man, I don't really like that preaching. I mean, wrath? I mean, uh, let's, let's go with love. Well, the gospel truth is, if God is perfect, holy, just, all that, then no sin can stand and face God. So, how we're saved is that Jesus stands in there for us. And... As that verse said, he brought us to God. He suffered for the unrighteous. So there are souls out there who could be facing that. And so to grow the church, is there that conviction all around us from a person way, way, way back that you might reach on social media to a person that you talked to today or at lunch or at last weekend's football game to your neighbor? Is there that, is there that burning zeal and desire to see souls saved, made alive, made. Is there that? Or just like hey, I just want a bigger church. Some things that we can do is one, man, we've got, to, we've got to create us here, a greater culture of prayer. A greater culture of prayer here, worship service, but in groups, in your life. I mean, I'm, I'm really serious here. Like if we don't pray, I mean, nothing Happens. When we do pray, we connect to the supernatural. Something greater than us. So greater. We pray. And you know, the the best strategy to reach people, and I'm not even talking about growing Bellwether Church here, okay? I'm talking about reaching souls. You know the best strategy? goes all the way back to the New Testament. is Christians on our streets and neighborhoods speaking about what Jesus Christ has done for their life. And just simple Loving your neighbor, but speaking about Jesus. That's how the church grows. And I'm not talking about Bella, I'm talking about the church bringing souls to know Christ. And, and if we don't do that, then we are we're not advancing, we're not on offense. We're just playing church. And so for me, I mean, all these things that we do. You know, love your neighbor, trunk or treat, Operation Christmas Child, missions. There are people out there, souls, souls that will face God. And then, one last thing: church growth strategy. You know, and something that's anti-church growth is when we say, and you know, I felt this sometimes. Some of you have felt this. Some of you have even said it. You know, it's a lot more comfortable when I knew everybody around here at Bellwether Church. I kind of liked it a little bit better then. You know, we're all like, really? You know, just one good family? I don't know what to say. It's a lot more comfortable with, and any church could say this, 20 folks or 50 folks or 150 folks. Or I liked it better when there were 300 folks. Or I liked it better when there were 500 folks. Or I liked it better, I liked it better when I kind of knew everybody. That is, that is an anti-gospel attitude of the church. And, and our, our, our deal as Christians is always to grow. The church, his church, not our church, his church, not Belwether church, his church, not even this church. Just lead people to Jesus. So, last thing, closing up. Uh, It's community. We use that word. It's great to have a community. There is a difference between a community of church, which kind of people know everybody and it feels good, and a gospel-driven community. You know, y'all know drives in football, right? You drive, you drive a guy. The best defense is a great offense. A gospel-driven community, going back, humble minds are cultivated. We're very careful about our words. We seek peace and pursue it. You're friends with people. You're like, I could never be friends with that guy. And you you get into deep relationships with them. People are restored. People say, man, there are some battles our our kids and our youth are facing, and I I can... first love on them here, or I can meet with them, or I can listen to them, or I could be part of youth group as a, as a mentor. There is just, there's a desire to see lives restored. Gospel-driven community. There is a big difference. And some churches never make, never make that change. How do we? How do we? Well, you could go back to what I said at the Connect time. And if y'all weren't here, I know you can hear it again. God's Word, rise with God. Equip. This brother who said, man, we need to fill that Wednesday night study to get into his Word and see how it plays out. Missions, love your neighbor. It's not just an event, it is trying to change a city to do what we can. It's going to the world to see it's a bigger picture. All those things. You're like, how do I do that? We give you on ramps to the way, which is Jesus, every Sunday. Every Sunday. But it's Jesus. Because if you don't know, going back, if you don't know this, it is moot point, play in church, do the song and dance, go to lunch. I'm looking forward to the football game this afternoon. Thanks, man. I caught a couple things. I like that story about the Danish chick. You know what? If you don't know Jesus, if you, I mean, if you don't know Jesus, that's what it's about. And some of you are like, that's going in my head. Guys, I, am, I cannot be more serious about this or passionate and I, or you're like, and uh, come on, man, when are you going to stop, man? I mean, I'm, I'm looking, 1143, you're a little long today. If you do not know that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the, in the Spirit, play in church. Just here to like, it's a pretty church. I've I got, I got a few friends here. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Oh, that's nice. Those boxes, sweet. I love that we're connected globally. I'd love to go to India. I've always wanted to get my Condé Nast on. That's a magazine, by the way, travel magazine. If you know that, it changes everything. You sing when we sing worship songs. You might not sing. You listen. It convicts you over and over again and if you don't I hope you come back and sorry we went all along today but that's it right there and I can't do it and no person can do it no worship team can do it the Holy Spirit can we're going to close in communion but before I pray that cross up there it's not just about the past it's about today and there's glory in it What's glory? It's kind of our version of old rugged cross. Glory that he did it for you. He suffered for you. That's nice of my suffering. No, that he could bring you to God. And without him, you're not going to be brought to God. And without us, by the Holy Spirit, others may not be brought to God. And that's the church on offense. It's the best defense. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, convict us, stir us, change us. In Jesus' name, amen.